the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday show. Thanks you thank again thanks again for tuning in to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the announcer said, this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life. Whatever is on your heart, you need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. I've got people coming in telling me it's getting really, really cold outside. So be careful out there, whatever's going on. Let's get right to questions, and we'd love you to call. So phone lines are open. Our first question is from, I hope I'm saying this right, Xenia. She says, what has to happen for there to be peace in the world rather than all the anger and hostility? Uh, Zini, I laughed. Just, I, I hadn't read the question before, and I'm thinking about this question. Um, it sounded like a beauty pageant for a moment. You know, we want world peace, all those things. Nothing is going to bring world peace except the Prince of Peace. I had a conversation with a guy in the military pretty high level, and I'm going back now probably more than 10 years. And one of his jobs was to uh, facilitate relations between uh, Israel and the Arab nations. Uh, And he was stationed, of course, in the Middle East, and he was trying to work out a plan where everybody could get together and compromise. And and I told him, I said, you're a believer. You know that's not going to happen. He said, well, I have to believe it's going to happen or my job has no value. And I told him, exactly, there will be no peace in this world until Jesus comes back. So, Zina, there's no reason, there's no reason to be optimistic about peace. Um, We live in a world that's um, the devil, the little G God of this world is in control. And peace is the last thing that he wants. Now, let me sort of change the focus for a moment. Because what I'm concerned more about is um, the personal peace that we who are Christians have been promised by Jesus. He said, my peace I give unto you. And I always put the, the word personal in there for emphasis. My personal peace I give to you. So it's like he's saying, Ron, don't, don't worry about things. Why are you uptight about things? My peace I give to you. And, and Zinia, I am far more concerned that we who are believers in Jesus Christ, we who have the Holy Spirit living in us, aren't living in a way that demonstrates that we know the God of peace. 
where are we missing out? Why are we afraid? You know, we've everybody is now concerned again because of the COVID outbreak. Um, and we need to be, obviously, we need to be um, practical about this. Um, this new virus is not um, as difficult. Uh, the symptoms are pretty light. It's inconvenient. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we, we, we let the media stoke our fears or social media stoke our fears. Uh, if somebody's wearing a mask, if a Christian's wearing a mask, other Christians, well, well, doesn't he or doesn't she trust the Lord? And if you're not wearing a mask, other Christians say, well, don't they love people? And there needs to be a place in the middle called peace, the peace of God that we're avoiding. So forgive me, Zini, for taking your question and, uh, and, and, and fitting this in, but this has been so heavy on my heart. Why can't we just rest in Jesus Christ when he's promised us his personal peace? That peace allowed him to stay on the cross, enduring the agony of the cross for you and for me. That peace allows us to settle in our hearts and be at a place where we can focus on him instead of on the things of this world. And no doubt Satan wants to disrupt that peace because he wants us to be angry. He wants us to be frightened. But all we have to do is be with Jesus and his peace rules and reigns in our heart. May the God of all peace be with you. May the God of comfort comfort you in all of your troubles so that you can comfort others with the comfort you yourselves have received from God. As Christians, that's what we need to focus on. I'll get off my soapbox here, Xenia, but there won't be any peace in the world until Jesus returns. Um, what I'm hoping in the interim is that we who are believers will demonstrate that we truly understand the value of having the peace of Jesus Christ in our in our hearts every single day. Here is an interesting question from Eric. He says, why is the Old Testament still necessary to study and to follow? Um, Eric, I, I suppose that we could read just the New Testament and we would have everything that we need. But one of the reasons the Old Testament is so valuable to study is because it gives us uh, just a glimpse into the, the, the wonder of the book. I, I always like in the Old Testament, I, I don't know if they still even have these anymore, but when I grew up, when my kids grew up, they had uh, connect-the-dots coloring books. And you'd connect the dots, and then you'd color in, you get a picture. Well, the Old Testament is like those dots. The New Testament is the coloring inside the connected dots. It gives you the full picture. But the Old Testament lets us know that this whole redemption plan, this, this whole God becoming a man, uh, wasn't an accident. It was always planned. And because we can look back historically and see what was going on during the time the Old Testament was written, we can see the prophetic value of the Old Testament. And I think we need to have the full picture. I just don't think it's enough for us to say, well, let's study the New Testament because we like that, or the God of the New Testament is nicer than the God of the Old Testament. If you want a clear picture of the, the character, the nature of of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You need to remember it all. Genesis, Eric, is absolutely essential. Genesis lays out the circumstances that really lead to every major New Testament doctrine of salvation that we know. So we need to know the Old Testament. The the, the prophets, and I, I touched on this briefly, but the, the prophets... Tell the future in, you know, from the, from the time they're living, they tell the future hundreds of years into the future, and they do so with precise detail. And that gives us the confidence that this truly is the Word of God. It's not just a book written by men. So that's why the Old Testament is still necessary to study. But, but Eric, more than just necessary, it's rich. And it's full. We 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 devote one week, uh, one night a week rather, to the Old Testament study. We've always done it here at Calvary Chapel on Wednesday nights, 
and I'm teaching First Kings. I just started, and I start in chapter two tomorrow night. And um, um, I'm sort of awash again with wonder over the stories, over the the way God dealt with people, His patience, His infinite patience with people who were disobedient, His care for those same people. So it just gives you gives us a complete picture of who He is and what He's done. So Eric, don't avoid it. Don't avoid it. Um, I could I could spend forever on this topic. I won't, but um, read the poetic books. Um, the Song of Songs. You want to know how much God loves you? Read that. If you want practical wisdom for everyday living, read the book of Proverbs. You want to learn how to deal with suffering in this world? Read the book of Job. If you want to hear the heart of a man after God's own heart, we can open the Psalms. It's just too rich. It's just way too rich to avoid. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the question. Bob wants to know, is it okay for Christians to have guns? Of course it's okay, Bob. Um, there's nothing sinful about having guns. Um, you know, obviously you can commit sin with the gun, but but certainly gun, gun, gun uh, possession, gun ownership is not only legal, um, we're guaranteed that right in the Constitution of the United States, but the Bible doesn't mitigate against the possibility of Christians having guns at all. Uh, I was asked personally by somebody not too long ago, um, do I own guns? I'm not a gun guy. I've had some guns, but those guns were... um, I just didn't enjoy it. We went out shooting. Uh, I just went out one time. Uh, and, and frankly, I didn't like the noise. I didn't like the fact that we were out in the dirty desert um, shooting old cars and stuff. Well, they were our old cars. But but I, I just I didn't like it. It just wasn't anything to me that was attractive about it. But I know people that love it. I know people that love Jesus that, that, that love their guns. So, yes, it's okay. For Christians to have guns, don't let anybody tell you that it's not. Uh, there is no biblical warrant against carrying a weapon or owning weapons. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. David says, Pastor on with the gift of tongues, can the user control it when the gift comes, or is it something you can't help doing? Um, David, remember that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So the Christian in the spirit can always control themselves. If you go into a church and people are are flopping all over the ground and they're out of control, that's not the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the same with the gift of tongues. Uh, I have the gift of tongues and I can decide. Sometimes I think the Lord just sort of puts it on my heart to pray in my prayer language. And I can start and I can stop. Um, It's not a super encouraging Gift. I mean, people that would would pray in tongues for hours and hours and hours. I couldn't do that. Uh, I pray in tongues because I know I'm praying in the will of God, by the power of God. At the same time, um, I I also, Paul says it's better to pray in English, a word in a language that you understand. And so I want to be able to pray um, in in a way where I'm, I'm aware of what I'm praying for. But both types of prayer are sort of part of our arsenal of prayer. And we need to be able to take advantage of both of them. So, yes, I can, if I'm on a walk and I feel like the Lord is telling me, uh, or the Spirit is leading me to to start praying in tongues, uh, I do it. But I could quench it, I could stop it. Um, At the same time, uh, if I'm praying in tongues, um, um, I kind of sense when I'm done. So, yeah, it doesn't just come over you and you can't control yourself. And if somebody's telling you that that's the, the right way to use the gift of tongues, that really doesn't um, coincide with what the Bible teaches about the gift of tongues. Every gift can be used by faith at our own choice. We've got to choose to use it. So, David, if you've got the gift of tongues, enjoy it. 
If you don't have the gift of tongues and want it, then believe what God's Word says. Receive it. God's promised it to you. Receive it, and then just start making the noises. And and it'll feel weird at first, but it's perfectly okay to be a little bit weird. It's just you and Jesus. And he's okay with it. We need to be okay with it. But I think like all gifts, we grow in the knowledge of the gift and in the use of that gift. And in order to grow, we've got to exercise the gift. So uh, it's it's something that we can control. Um, we're never out of control if we're truly walking in the Spirit. And I hope that's the case. Just as a side note, last night I was watching, like so many were, I was watching the uh, uh, football game, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, and it was a really boring game for three quarters of it. So uh, I was just happened sort of channel surfing, and I, I, I saw Jimmy Swigert Ministries and the, the program guide, and I went to that. And I haven't heard uh, Jimmy Swigert in a long, long time. And um, I'm not a fan, but but uh, it was good to see him. He looked healthy, and I thought that was great. But it was actually his son, Donnie Swigert, who was doing the preaching now. And I watched one of the most out-of-control churches that I've ever seen. And, you know, my first inclination is to sort of smile and laugh and think, oh, look at those people. And then my heart just got broken. My heart was broken. The cameras would pan to the people, and then the place was full. Uh, the cameras would pan to the, to the people, showing their faces, showing them up close in the crowds. And, boy, the Lord just broke my heart. All I could think about was these are people, by and large, who love the Lord. They're real believers. But they're being ripped off by this kind of nonsense and false teaching. And I finally had turned it off completely because it was affecting me. And uh, Paula was coming home. I didn't want to be all bummed out when she got home. Uh, but the idea is that, that you take that wonderful gift of tongues and they were priming people in order to give them the gift of tongues and claiming victory here and victory there. And, and my heart, my heart was broken. All those people deceived. All of those people being told they're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit when in fact it was one of the most carnal displays that I've ever seen. It wasn't too long ago we finished here at Calvary Chapel uh, in, on Sundays teaching in uh, 1 Corinthians. In fact, our, our, our 1 Corinthians Bible studies are now on this radio program and others across the country. Uh, the teaching programs that we have on the air. And, uh, you know, having dealt with all of that, and I, I felt like I was watching a church in Corinth, Greece, yesterday when I was watching that. So, more information than you needed. Dwayne says, Is it fair to sincere Muslims to say they need to change religions or go to hell? Um, yeah, Dwayne, it's not only fair... Uh, but it's loving. Now, let's talk about your your use of the word fair for a moment. There's nothing fair when anybody goes to heaven. Nothing fair about it. I'm the worst sinner ever. Uh, the Apostle Paul would disagree with me, but, but, but I know me. And it is not fair that I go to heaven. But Jesus died for me so that I could. And the reason he had to die for me is because Anybody who's guilty of any sin at all, unforgiven, unrepentant sin, is going to spend eternity in hell. And it doesn't matter how sincere they are in another religion. If Jesus is truly the only way and we know he is, then not only, again, are we being fair, but we're also being loving by telling them that they need to find out which God really is God. And so for a Muslim, guilty of sin, just like I was guilty of sin and everybody in this audience is guilty of sin, for a Muslim to be forgiven of his sins, it has to be by the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood of Muhammad doesn't work because Muhammad died, he stayed dead. 
And by the way, Muhammad never promised forgiveness of sins. Muhammad never gave any guarantee of salvation. He spoke about the hope of salvation. But there was no way to know. There's another big item here. Anybody who believes in God in any form has the personal responsibility to find out if the God they believe in really is God. You know, if you go to um, an AA group, you got to believe in a higher power. There's something out there that's bigger than you. Well, whatever it is that you decide on, you better decide once and for all whether or not that thing or person really is God. You're acknowledging God, which means you're accountable. But if your higher power is some mystical force or Allah or Buddha, um, then you're not really being sincerely honest until you find out whether or not whatever it is you believe in is God. And we know that Jesus is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. So anybody, any Muslim in the world who says, I I need to know if you're really God, if they're really seeking God, if they'll serve God when God shows himself to them, the real one, Jesus will reveal himself to them. So yes, it is not only fair, and as I added, loving, to tell Muslims and Jews and Mormons and Catholics, and, and you can keep adding to the list, that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And everybody knows that verse in John's Gospel. But everybody needs to find out whether or not Jesus was telling the truth. If he was telling the truth, anything or anyone that other people put their hope in it's going to lead, lead them to an eternity separated from God. So yes, it is fair and it is loving. And one of the things that we need to do, Dwayne, is share our Jesus with people from other faiths. Not in a confrontational way, not debating or arguing, but just sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that his gospel is good news. It's better than good news. It is great news. And we need to let them know. Thank you. I think we're inside about three minutes now for this half of the program. Uh, We'd love your live calls and questions in the second half of the show. George says this. My question is about lawsuits. Uh, If a believer cheats you, is it okay to sue them? Um, George, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, makes it very clear that it is never okay for a believer to sue a believer. Now, I know we don't like to be cheated and we find a way around it. Well, well, if they were really believer, we wouldn't do this. But, but Paul says, shouldn't we rather be wronged than to drag the name of Christ, especially in a court of law in front of unbelievers? Wouldn't it be better to be wronged? Certainly, it'd be more noble. So, now, there's nothing wrong with suing people using our... our legal justice system. But when it comes to a believer suing another believer, Christian against Christian, then that is a violation of a very firm direction that the Apostle Paul gave us. And um, when we are willing to drag the name of Christ through our dispute for money or whatever it is, I think sometimes we need to accept the fact that we learn something If somebody cheated us, we learned something. We learned something about them, but we also learned something about us. We also learned something about our motives and our priorities. And I think those lessons are invaluable. And I think we need to be like the Apostle Paul and say, before uh, I drag Jesus' name through the mud, um, I'm willing to suffer loss. Can you imagine, George, how pleased that would make him? I don't think any one of us who would honestly say, look, I'd rather be cheated than than violate your word, Lord. I don't think any one of us who would do that would ever be disappointed in the 
overall result of our circumstance. We might get cheated. It might drive us crazy. We might feel like, well, they're getting away with something. But remember, they never. nobody ever gets away with something, especially a professing believer. They never get away with anything. We've got to be willing to put Jesus first before our ego, before uh, material reward. It's got to be just about Jesus. If we'll do that, George, then um, your reward will be more than you could ask or imagine. So, yeah, lawsuits are forbidden between believers. However, we can go to court if we need it. We can sue unbelievers. We can be sued, certainly. Um, but I think this is just something we've got to take God at his word. I think it takes great faith, but it's something where we've got to take God at his word. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your calls. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Hey, I may have misspoken, so I want to correct this before we go on. Uh, my producer said that I said lawsuits are forbidden, and I said, yeah, I said between believers, and he said, I didn't hear that, so I don't know if I said between believers or not, but lawsuits between believers are forbidden. So if somebody's a Christian and they're bent on suing you, then you've got to just sort of bow out gracefully and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you, and there's where we have to have the faith to believe that God really honors obedience and he will bless you abundantly in the process. So lawsuits between believers are forbidden, not lawsuits against other people. Here is a question from Arnold. He says, oh, just simple. What about having non-Christian friends? I'm all for it, Arnold. Um, we should all have non-Christian friends. Uh, we should love the people that Jesus loves and the people that he died for. Uh, and so, yeah, it's fine to have Christian friend, non-Christian friends. Here's what we need to be careful of. Paul said, bad company corrupts good character. That wasn't a judgment. That was just a general rule. When you hang around with people that don't know Jesus, then it's going to be easy to slide into ungodly behavior. So when you're around your non-Christian friends, and I'd had family in this as well, we're not supposed to act like they do. You know, we're not supposed to say, well, you're my buddy, so, well, let's go have some drinks. So, no, you don't do that. But you see, because they're your friends and you care about them, you share Jesus with them. But of course you should have non-Christian friends. Um, and because they're your friend, you should continually be letting them know about what Jesus is doing in your life. You should be telling them what they're missing out on. And then your life and the joy, the light, the energy that comes from your life, the peace in your heart that I talked about in the first half of the program, all of that would be very attractive to your non-Christian friends. And maybe, just maybe, your non-Christian friends will become Christians. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Paul, uh, Luke writes to uh, his gospel, uh, it's, it's sort of a, a witness of the, the, the ministry of Jesus. And he dedicates it to uh, most excellent Theophilus. Um, clearly, Luke was a, a man of means, a doctor, we know that. Um, uh, and Theophilus was one of his friends. And Luke cared enough to share Jesus over and over and over. And so the whole gospel of Luke is sort of um, Luke sharing the gospel of God with this most excellent Theophilus. Now, to have the title most excellent Theophilus, that was normal for people in really, really high positions. It was like a title. 
your excellency we we see in other time eras but in this case most excellent was was a, a title of significance and honor but when he writes the book of acts he just addresses him as theophilus and we can only wonder why not most excellent theophilus here and the answer is clearly that most excellent theophilus gave himself to jesus christ and in the process Receive the humility that is appropriate. Very important, Arnold. You see, if you really have non-Christian friends, you want them to become Christians. So you don't just go and hang out. Now, that's okay. But you don't talk like they do. You don't talk about the same things they do. You talk about Jesus. And you do it because you want them to be in heaven. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for getting my call, Pastor Ron. I hope my you pleasure. Brought, <laughs> Happy New Year, and I hope you brought your your long johns <laughs> for later. How, is it um, going to get really cold? Oh, I don't know. Depends on your blood, I guess. Some people yeah, say I'm cold blooded, but anyway. Um, I was kind of pondering on uh, the the tail end of uh, the the first half of the show when you were talking about suing, uh, you know, getting back at, uh, you know, it's okay to to uh, sue a, a heathen, I guess you could put it. But I, I had a it it brought to mind. Years and years ago, when I was working, uh, you know, we'd get paid, uh, uh, oh, sometimes weekly or even every other week, et cetera, et cetera. And we had this one kid that uh, he he never could make it from paycheck to paycheck. He was always trying to go from one person to the other to get some some money to tide him over and, you know, the reason he had to keep going from one to one, the other, was he wasn't real steady as far as, you know, his obligation to repay. And and this one fella, we were talking about it, and, and he, he said, yeah, I, I loaned him uh, 20 bucks. He said, oh, Friday, I'll pay you back full, and don't worry about it. I'll do it for sure. And I said, oh, well, that's good. He goes, you know what? I never saw him again. <laughs> and and his attitude, and I, it had nothing to do with being a Christian or anything at that point in my mind, but his attitude was, you know, Ray, that, that was the best 20 bucks I ever spent. <laughs> so that's kind of a, a little thought. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. I think about it, and I thought, well, yep. he's probably more Christian than a lot of folks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking, uh, now, Ray, you're, you're almost as old as I am, so... No, um, I, I, I was going to say something else, and I, was, I, I changed, but it was to the effect that uh, you're almost old enough to remember what I was going to talk about, because <laughs> um, <laughs> I am quite a bit older than you. <laughs> Well, praise God somebody is. Thank you. Yeah, but yeah. When, when, when you started sharing your story, my first thought was Wimpy from the old Popeye commercials. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. So, Right. Thank, thank you, Ray. God bless okay. you. Um, you too. I thank you. I don't like hearing it's cold out there. I told my producer, uh, I thought it was supposed to get warmer today, so I didn't even bring a coat. I've just got a hoodie on today, so... Here is a question that was sent in to the producer, a message from Thomas. Uh, tell Pastor Ron I appreciate his message from this past Sunday with his personal story being in Southern California, and keep me in your prayers. Thomas, I will be praying for you, and thank you for uh, the thought. You know, you, you, it's, it's funny, pastors, we, we do messages, and there are times when it feels like nobody's listening, and... and um, you know it it hurts uh this this Sunday in particular uh the message was so personal, and I felt 
especially in our second service. But I felt like the Lord was pleading with people. Let me touch you today. Let me touch you today. And, and the people just weren't, weren't listening. And, and I felt the, the Lord's broken heart. My heart was broken. I, during the invitation, I, I almost I really had to work hard not to start crying. And that was the heart of the Lord. So, um, Thomas, I appreciate so much um, your comment because it, it indicates that, that people are listening. Thank you. Here is a question from Trey. He says, I'm put off by all the radio ministries pushing for donations at the end of the year. I don't think we should give to people who pressure people to give. Trey, all I can say is amen to that. Uh, I am so tired of it. And I think I think it's a lack of faith, a lack of trusting in God. Now, I know as well as anybody that radio airtime costs a lot of money. We've been doing this show for a little over nine years. And we've been on our teaching programs, we've been on radio, uh, not just here in San Antonio, but in other places throughout the country. Uh, and it costs a lot of money. But I've always believed, Trey, that if God wanted us on the radio, he'd provide. And so we didn't ask for a penny. You know, there are times when I feel like, times when I feel like maybe, well, maybe I'm missing out and other people getting all the, the, the donations. And, and I know that's just the enemy trying to mess with me. God has provided for our needs. And uh, when I hear the constant barrage of solicitations, some of them dishonest at their core, um, I'm put off just like you are. And, um, Trey, I think what you should do is not give to people who pressure other people to give and pray for them. Um, I, I couldn't agree more, so I don't really have any other comment other than um, I, I share your pain. Here is a question from Brian. Uh, he says, James says that if we go to the elders for prayer, our illnesses will be healed. Why then doesn't everybody get well? Is this a failure? of the Bible. Brian, this is a question that, that we get asked a lot. Um, and, and believe it or not, I deal with a lot of other pastors on this. Um, we anoint people with oil, uh, when they come forward for prayer. Um, we'll get other pastors and the elders in our church, lay hands on them. And sometimes, Brian, sometimes those people get healed. Um, most of the time, they don't. Now, as to your question, is this a failure of the Bible? Only if we don't understand the, the entirety of the Bible. You know, Jesus tells us that if we pray and our prayer is heard, that we have the guarantee that we have what we ask for. Um, that doesn't mean we can ask for anything and get it. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But you see, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then we're going to pray the things that come from his heart. He's going to put those desires to pray in our heart. And I think it demonstrates the carnality of much of our culture uh, in church, Brian, that we just think, well, why does he give me whatever I asked for? He said he would. That's really not what he said. Now, if you read it, completely absent from all of the other scriptures in the Bible, all the other passages on prayer, um, then you could certainly read James and say, well, okay. But that, that would be treating Jesus like he was a magic genie or something. We have to pray those things that are in the will of God. Brian, let me give you just one example here. When On Friday nights, um, uh, we'll have people come forward for prayer, and, and I'm not praying for them, but we'll have other people in the church, our leaders, uh, people from the pastor's discipleship class that I have, and they'll spread out in front of the stage, and we'll close our Friday night services with people coming forward if they need to come for prayer. And there are times when the Spirit of God will say to my heart, there's power to heal here tonight. And I let people know that. But here's what I also tell them. If you want to come forward for prayer, to be healed, then before you come, settle this issue between you and God right now. If he heals you tonight, miraculously heals you, 
What are you going to do with that newfound strength, that wellness? Are you going to use your strength to serve God? I think of the the story Jesus told uh, about the ten lepers. Uh, It's actually a description of an event. And um, they were all healed. And when they they were on their way to show the priests, um, they found they were healed. Only one of them came back to thank Jesus. And he said, weren't all ten of you healed? Where are the other nine? And what we've got to do is be able to say, okay, Lord, I want to be well to serve you. I don't want to be well just because I don't want to feel badly. Now, that's obviously true for everybody. But we don't want to feel well just so that our life is easy. God, if you touch my body physically, then I'll spend all of my strength on you. And if you can't do that, then who are we to come to the Lord and say, heal me? There's great accountability when we receive a touch from God. And I want us to think about that accountability. So, Brian, Bible didn't fail. It's just we've got to take the Bible as a whole, not just a verse out of context. If you've got the faith to go ask for prayer, and if you can say to the Lord with a pure heart, I want to be well to serve you, then go ask for prayer. And if it's God's will, it's not always God's will to to heal. I know that makes the faith and prosperity types angry when I say that. But he didn't heal the Apostle Paul. Paul was told, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not putting myself up there with the Apostle Paul, so please don't misunderstand this. But I think most of you on the radio, if you've been listening for a time, you know I'm visually impaired. And I've got uh, tens of thousands of people praying all the time for me, for my eyes. I pray almost every day to be able to see better. I want to read again. And the Lord has spoken to me as he spoke to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. That doesn't mean he's not going to change his mind one day, but there's certainly no reason for me to expect him to. We get sick in this world. There are accidents in this world. And most of the time, we deal with that. And Jesus has always promised to be there with us. So, Brian, this is not a failure of the Bible. This is just one of those times when we have to read the Bible as a whole and learn what the Bible means by looking at the Bible as a whole in its entirety. Thank you, Brian. Timothy says, do we really have to give up everything to follow Jesus? Does God want us to be poor? Um, Timothy, what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to put Jesus before anything and everything else. When Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give it to the poor, he only told the rich young ruler that because the rich young ruler valued above all things his wealth. Um, more important than than his relationship with God, more important than his relationship to other people. Money was his little G-God. And so Jesus was telling him, Jesus going right to his heart, knowing the problem. You remember when the, the uh, a paralytic was lowered on the mat from the roof and they wanted him to be healed. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus went right to the need. Well, the rich young ruler's need was to get rid of his little idols. And his idol was money. So Jesus said, you want to follow me? Here's what it's going to take for you. God has nothing against wealth. But God hates it when wealth becomes the priority in our lives. And that's what we have to be willing to give up. So does he want us to be poor? The answer is no. I tell my church all the time when we come through passages like this, 
You know, I'm in favor because God is, I'm in favor of rich people. I'd love to see rich Christians. Um, but, but those are the people that God can trust with his money. Those are the people, Timothy, who really do understand that what they have came from God and thus it belongs to God. And because they understand that, God trusts them with it and gives them more. And you know, they live extravagant lifestyles. That's great. It's their money. But you see, they really understand that it's a blessing from the Lord and they've committed to use their their, their material wealth to advance the kingdom of God. The, the gift of giving is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Barnabas had it in the New Testament. Well, our, our church has been blessed abundantly by people who are very, very generous. Uh, Proverbs 11 says, A generous man himself will be blessed by God. Uh, we got a lot of people here at Calvary Chapel who get that. And we never ask for money. We don't even talk about it unless we're teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And, and, and it's dealing with that. So you have to give up everything that comes before Jesus in your life. If you understand that, then you're a good steward of what God has given you. Timothy, thank you for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Michelle Pastoran. How do you explain women who want babies but can't have them? I don't, I don't explain it, Michelle. Um, um, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tragedy. We, I've shared stories here on the program. And we've had people over the years, uh, women over the years, who wanted babies and miscarried over and over and over, and in some cases were being pressured by family members to give up because they just couldn't stand the pain any longer. And the Lord gave them a word. And they both had babies. In fact, one of them just had another baby. And um, uh, (laughs) her and her husband um, adopted um, one child and then found out that that, that, that son had uh, siblings and they adopted them all and, and so they, they had four children and then she got pregnant. You know, I, I don't, I can't explain how but here's what I can know. God is good. I think about Hannah who wanted a baby desperately. And God wanted her to have a baby, but he had to prepare her to have a very special baby. She would have settled for any child. God said, no, no, I'm going to give you a prophet and a judge. And of course, Samuel was born and she kept her promise. She dedicated him to the Lord and she gave him over to the service of God. God was preparing her to have a very special baby. So God is sovereign over our our wombs, and we got to trust him, whether we have children or not. But I know how painful it is, Michelle. Um, we've dealt with it many, many times. It's just one of those areas where we really have to trust the Lord and stay in his presence and be content, learn the secret of being content, being in the will of God. I hope that makes sense to you, Michelle. I understand how painful it is. Here is a question from Benjamin. This will be the last one of the day. One of the most personal questions I've ever had asked on this show, Benjamin. It says, Pastor Ron, do you and Paula ever fight? Uh, Benjamin, we disagree, but we never fight. Um, we, we don't raise our voice in anger. Uh, we take thoughts captive. Uh, I could never explain to Jesus uh, how I could, I could be unkind or raise my voice um, to the to the woman who prayed for me to get saved for 13 years. I don't know how I would ever explain that. And I think, Benjamin, the key to your question is, is this answer. It's never okay to be in your flesh. Not ever. So when you find yourself getting irritated, you find yourself getting angry, you've got to crucify the flesh right then and there. How could I tell Paula I love her and then fight with her, argue with her? 
I just, to me, that's incongruous. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure Paula gets far more frustrated with me than I ever do with her. We are so different, but we're best friends. And so, no, we don't fight. We don't raise our voice. And if we get to the point where we're frustrated, I'm sure Paula has gone out of the house and taken a walk a whole bunch of times when I thought she was just fine, just, but she was frustrated with me and didn't want to want to sin in in her anger. So, um, no, we 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 don't fight, and there's never an excuse for doing that. I don't think any man could stand before Jesus when he says, "Okay, how did you do with the woman I gave you?" I don't think we could ever justify fighting. It's not okay to say, well, you know, we're all humans and we're going to fight sometime. I don't think that's a justification for being in your flesh, Benjamin. So the answer to your question is, no, we don't fight. And when we disagree about something, um, that's one of those things that we submit to the Lord. So that's the best I can do on that question, Benjamin. Thank you for asking it. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We are at the end of our program for today. Um, phones were quiet today. We'd love your calls tomorrow on the program. Uh, but you have been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful evening serving the Lord. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. And we'll see you then. God bless you. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.